Welcome to the Good People Podcast. For each episode, we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of the Where Am I series, Where Am I Wearing, Eating, and Where Am I Giving? Basically, we talk to people who give a damn and help other people give a damn. And one of the people that I'm really trying hard to help give a damn is Jay Mormon. Jay, how you doing? Great. I love how you twist that every week. I always try to get a little jab in. You got it. Uh, joining us today, Kelsey, I have asked my good friend Kelly Schrock um, to join us. She is president of the Community Foundation of Muncie and Delaware County. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Jay. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this has been a conversation that Kelsey and I have had for years, uh, Kelly, and, and we've known we've had an expert um, right under our noses, and we thought we might pull you in to talk about it. And what we want to talk about today is donor-advised funds, right? So Kelsey and I have discussed this, I think, in a couple other podcasts, but, um, uh, you know, it, it, I'll give the IRS definition of it, uh, and then we can talk about some intricacies, and then what you do in the Community Foundation for uh, uh, the county in which we live. So the IRS definition is, a donor-advised fund is a separately identified fund or account that is maintained and operated by a Section 501c3 organization, which is called a sponsoring organization. Each account is comprised of contributions made by individual donors. Once the donor makes the contribution, the organization has legal control over it. Mm -hmm. However, the donor, I think this is where the advised part comes in, or the donor's representative retains the advisory privileges with respect to the distribution of funds and the investment of assets in the account. So I became aware of this in about 2015, um, and I can't remember how, but um, my wife and I decided to put money in one of those things because, you know, year to year, you can't, well, where are we going to get money? And, you know, we talk a lot about that. Where is it going to go and how much are we going to share and that kind of thing? But we came, became aware of uh, one of these donor advised funds because it was tied in with our retirement accounts. Um, uh, so it has become a topic of discussion between Kelsey and I about are they beneficial? What do they mean? How do they work? Uh, and that leads us to the Community Foundation, which is uh, a powerful um, and wonderful organization within our own county. And I'll read the mission there. And then Kelly, maybe you can tell us a little bit more. Uh, on the website, it says, our mission, the Community Foundation of Muncie and Delaware County encourages philanthropy, assists donors in building an, an enduring source of charitable assets and exercises leadership in directing resources to enhance the quality of life for residents of Muncie and Delaware County. So there's your website, which you probably knew. Yes. <laughs> I bet you can so, rattle that off, huh? Usually, yeah. yeah. It's a little memorize. long to go from memory, but yes, I know the three main tenets. So good, good. A bit every day. So um, I thought that would be a good good place for you to Kelly, for you Kelly to, to kind of take over and tell us about the Community Foundation. Tell us, I know it's not just donor advised funds there. What are the services and products you have, and then what exactly do you do, and then we can get um, deeper into this topic. Sure. So we are, to put it into context, because we're sitting in the state of Indiana, the great state of Indiana, uh, we are lucky in the, in the United States because there is a community foundation that serves every county in Indiana. Okay. And we can thank the Lilly Endowment for that. Um, they started a program that helped seed uh, community foundations where ones did not exist. We've been in existence for 36 years um, in May of this year, it'll be our 36th anniversary. Um, but we are here and exist to help uh, improve the quality of life for residents here in our county. 
um, lots of different products because of course we're a public foundation. So there are private foundations and there are public foundations. We're in the public sphere of things. And so there are different rules. Um, you quoted very nicely the IRS definition of a donor advice fund. They have lots of, of definitions and rules about how we are to operate uh, as a public foundation. The biggest difference is that we get to choose our spending policy and private foundations have to spend a certain amount um, that is dictated by the IRS. Um, mm -hmm. And there are uh, costs associated with maintaining a private foundation. So when we talk about donor advice funds, they became very popular because they were a less expensive way for families to um, carry out their philanthropic goals um, versus establishing a private family fund. Uh, or private family foundation. And, and so, Kelly, would you say like locally the Ball Brothers Foundation or the George and Francis Ball Foundation? Yeah, those are two are, really those good are examples private. of private family foundation. Okay, yeah. yeah. Local folks will get that. Our, our international listeners won't understand that. But. Oh, they might. Ball, <laughs> ball jars, ball canning jars. Those That's are true. They're good. everywhere. They're, They're everywhere. everywhere. That's right. <laughs> so um, in terms of our products and services, um, we're a grant maker. Uh, we're a community leader and we're an asset developer. Those are our three, you know, three legs of the stool that, that prop us up and help us um, improve the quality of life in the community. So um, the more funds we have uh, under management, if you will, the more grants that we can award, right? And um, so the more donors that we talk to, when we talk about asset development, that's the fundraising piece of it. Uh, the more donors that we talk to and the more folks that are excited about the work that we're doing in the community, the more they want to invest, um, which means make gifts to the foundation. And some of those donors want to establish um, individual funds for certain purposes. So when you think about, you talked about products. Um, I typically don't talk about it in those terms, but for folks in the business world, that makes a lot of sense. And so um, the different products that we have, um, we do offer donor advised funds. So we are a, a sponsoring organization for donor advised funds here. We have designated funds. So a donor would say, I'd like to start an endowment fund that specifically benefits ABC charity, right? So as a private or as a public charity, we can only grant to other qualified 501c3s. So they have to be qualified charities, right? We also have scholarship funds. Hopefully those are pretty self-explanatory. If you wanna help students uh, achieve their educational goals, we can do those. We have unrestricted funds, which are the funds that we like the best, donors that say, you know what? We just love everything about what you're doing and we know that you're supporting the community. So we're gonna establish a fund in our name, you know, the Smith Family Fund, and it's unrestricted. You all put it to its greatest use because you know where the, the needs are great in the community. And then we have a field of interest funds. So a donor would come and say, I'm really interested in um, young children and the environment. And so there can be an, a, a fund that's established where the donor sets the field in which we, they want grants to be awarded. So that's their field of interest. And in this case, it could be young children and the environment. Programs and projects that help support. Doesn't have to be both. It can be one or the other, but uh, you get the idea. Yeah. So we offer all of those types of funds. Um, our uh, endowment uh, supports um, regular grant making. So we have enough unrestricted money. That's what we use to um, offer the quarterly competitive grant process. And so that four times a year, nonprofit organizations can apply for grant funding for programs and projects that help them meet their mission. 
We have a 12 member uh, grants committee of volunteers that live and work here in our community um, that review those and make recommendations to our board. Um, we are governed by a nine member board of volunteers who also live and work in our uh, county and um, all grant making per our bylaws uh, must be approved by the board. So um, the board appoints standing committees and they allow the, the committees to do that work and make recommendations to the board. Um, but ultimately the board has to approve those grant recommendations. Um, and so we, we regularly grant about a million um, through that quarterly competitive process. Um, and uh, we also have strategic grant program. So that's a committee of the board and they set strategic priorities each year. And then there's money that's um, uh, carved out uh, and, and uh, awarded for those strategic priorities. And then um, scholarships, donor advisor grants and designated funds um, make up the rest. So about, we granted last year, um, just over three and a half million back into Muncie and Delaware County. Wow. So which of those streams uh, is the, like the largest one? So 40% of our total endowment is unrestricted dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. All the and, others, donor advised, designated, scholarship, field of interest, they make up the other 60. And so, I mean, Indiana is lucky to have uh, one in every county. Um, right. But what about other, like how common is a community foundation in other communities, like in other states? There's 800 in the United States community foundations. Um, we are lucky that we have one serving every county. It's common that people would know about a community foundation, but there are community foundations that look more regional. Um, again, Indiana divided up by county, some divide up by Northwest Ohio or something like that. that that's not really an, a, a community foundation in Ohio, but you get the idea regionally versus the county model that was set up here. There's 11, about 1100 worldwide. So this well, is not just a United States phenomenon. Yeah. It did start here. The first community foundation was established in 1914 in Cleveland, Ohio okay. uh, by a banker. Yeah, because there's there's 92 counties in Indiana. So yeah, almost at a one- community foundations that okay. serve all 92 counties. There's some that have kind of banded together in the Southern part of the state. Yeah, so I mean, it's a hefty percentage, like one out of every nine in the United States is in, in the great state of Indiana. That's, that's, that's right. amazing. It's good to be at the top in, in, in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and Kelly, what's the, I mean, you said some of the numbers, what's the, whatever you can share, and I know you may not be able to share everything, but what's the total asset? Uh, I mean, how much, how much are you guys managing Sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, all the numbers that I'm going to quote are as of year in 2020, because that makes the most sense. Um, we were uh, 75 million 460,000 um, 657 in terms of total assets. So that's um, 355 individual funds. 99% um, of those are permanently endowed funds. Um, we do mm -hmm. offer some um, non-permanent funds or what we call pass-through. Um, so a really good example of a pass-through fund would be when the community was um, revitalizing uh, to a pool. The community foundation stepped in and said, you know what, we can establish a pass-through fund so that community members can make their gifts to us to, to for that specific purpose so that the city didn't have to figure that out or the parks department. And so when that pool project was complete, the fund was expended and closed down. 
Um, but 99%, we are an endowment model. That's what we do. We're here today, tomorrow, and always to help improve the quality of life. So 75 million in total assets at year end, 355 funds. We granted over three and a half million dollars last year. That was 792 individual grants. And then hmm. our five-year rate of return was 10.7%. Wow, that was, an, that was another thing I was gonna ask is- you know, I figured. You know, well, I, you know, being a being a spreadsheet guy, I kind of put the math together. I didn't do any complicated, uh, um, you know, contribution numbers or um, uh, com compounding comp um, math. I can't even say it. Um, but I did take a look, and if you, you know, just pretend you put in a hundred thousand dollars on year one, right? Um, and it throws off, you know, an average stock market return of eight percent. It's going to take you about twelve years. And you'll have granted as much or as more or more than you, you had initially contributed. That's yet. right. That's the power right. of endowment. Right. And you keep going. You double that the next 12 years and then mm -hmm. you continue to, that, that continues to grow if you continue to spend it down to 100, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and is well, that the rate? You spend down more than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can. So do you plan that? I mean, do you have targets around that sort of return or do you just measure that based on the allocations people ask for? Right. No, the investment committee does have target returns in terms of what they hope to achieve. Um, it's getting harder and harder <laughs> um, yeah. because, you know, the type of investor that we are, we're investing for the long haul. And so, um, you know, when you're in an endowment model, an endowment, uh, uh, the time horizon is much longer. Right. Um, and so that makes us a different or a unique uh, type of investor. We work with a financial uh, advisor, a consulting group. Um, that specializes in community foundations. We also have money that's managed here locally, um, both at First Merchants, uh, Private Wealth Advisors, and Old National uh, Trust. So we try to stay committed to everything local, um, but we have really good advisors and a really um, expert committee that, that gives us great uh, direction in terms of that. Um, and I think one of the things too that, um, that we look at is the idea of and what the investment committee grapples with is the idea of not spending too much in today's dollars on the backs of future us, right? So there's that, that um, it's not really a push-pull, but that balance, right? Because we want to be responsive today, but we also know that future us, and I talk about this with the foundation staff all the time, future us is relying on us to be good stewards today so that they have um, as healthy an endowment as we do today in, in the future that will continue to support the programs and projects that are important in, in the community. So, so current us got hit with a major, you know, punch in the face with the, with the pandemic. So right. is that kind of like rally the troops let's figure out if we're going to give more this year or yes. what does, so how, how does that conversation happen? And then what ultimately did you decide to do? Sure. Um, I was really impressed with not only um, our board leadership, um, the, the nine members of our board, but also our staff and our um, committee volunteers. There was definitely uh, many conversations because when you can tout the fact that 40% of our total assets are unrestricted, and so unrestricted dollars help us respond to the greatest needs of the community at the time, well, when you get that punch in the face of a global pandemic, that's when you need to respond. And that's what we were built for. So we had lots of conversations. We decided, um, and when I say we, the board decided, staff execute, right? We carried it out. 
But the board decided that it was going to be a both and. This was not an either or conversation. It wasn't going to be, do we stop quarterly competitive grant making in order to pivot that favorite word that everybody's heard and, and focus on emergent needs of the pandemic. We wanted to do both. It was a both and. We, we were gonna respond to emergent needs and we were gonna continue with our quarterly competitive process because we knew that those emergent needs were gonna focus on primarily the health and human services sector, right? And so that you know education and community betterment and economic development, those sectors were gonna get short shrift, arts and culture, we're gonna get short shrift if we did um, either or. So the both and was the, was the uh, edict going forward. Um, and we really worked very closely with uh, other funding partners in the community. So we've mentioned locally, uh, Ball Brothers Foundation, George and Francis Ball Foundation, United Way of Delaware, uh, Henry and Randolph counties, our local United Way, along with um, uh, the AEP Foundation. And we tried to share information. We always talked normally, but during the pandemic, it was critical for us to understand information. And we were learning things that changed rapidly. Um, and so having regular conversation with the other funders in the community was really helpful. We kept a Google spreadsheet, um, George and Francis Ballstaff started it and we would all add to it. Um, and so, you know, th the fact that we were collectively as local funders in Delaware County able to put back over two and a half million dollars into the community specifically for COVID related assistance. Um, and very quickly, I mean, we started making grants in March. Wow. Um, and, you know, we, the schools locally closed down what the last day my kids were in school was Friday, March 13th of last year. We started making grants. We put together a program uh, whereby um, board gave staff authority, a committee of staff authority to approve grants up to $2,000. And then the board would ratify at their monthly meetings. Um, and our governance committee met regularly. Um, but that was, that was what we did. That was the process that we went through. Um, we had staff talking to lots of different nonprofit organizations just to check in with them. How are you doing? How are, how's the staff? Um, what's your greatest need right now? And what are you concerned about? What's, what's coming down the horizon and what's keeping you up? And, um, you know, we had those conversations about every two weeks with lots of different groups and some of those same groups. United Way did a great job of hosting um, funded partner calls every Monday, um, just so we could all figure out who's on first and what's the need and, and where are you finding supplies? Because in those early days, as you can imagine, masks were almost impossible to get. So um, we yeah, really we, tried to respond that way. Yeah, and I, I mean, uh, some of the other local charities uh, like Little Red Door, um, you know, the, the needs the word is pivoted, I guess, right? Before yeah. it was, we need these things. And then all of a sudden people weren't allowed to come in the store. They didn't, or the, you know, the, the front desk and get supplies. Right. They needed to be given them in a different way. People's housing flexibility changed. So they had mm -hmm. to not, they weren't able to go to certain places to receive treatment. Um, and I know, you know, just a couple meetings into the pandemic, they were, they were trying to figure out how to change. So I can imagine that the, the amount of modification of strategy around those different charities and your response to those i'm sure that was very helpful but it was particularly challenging of course it was it was something i've never experienced for sure yeah that's something we talk about a lot is like who do you decide to give to and just like individually so like any tips that you have but also how little 
in how little thought most of us put into this. Like I, I found a stat that was, um, oh shoot, I just had it up, that Americans spend less than two hours per year evaluating their giving decisions. Hmm. Like, you know, we do a lot of things. I mean, I probably pick my nose for longer than two hours a year, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, You're committed, to, Kelsey. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's just a little bit, a little bit over, you know, a long period of time, and that, that does the job. I'm not sure that was the best example. Um, it was a bad example. <laughs> but my point is, like, you know, it's it's hard, and I think that the reason that people don't put a lot of thought into it because, like, it is kind of overwhelming, especially in a time of need, uh, which I can see why a community foundation is important because you have those uh, people who are focused on that, who have thought a lot about this. Right, um, yeah. We wake up thinking about it and go to sleep thinking about it for sure. I think it's interesting that you said two hours. I, that, that seems low. So, uh, you know, based on the process that we go through and what I watch our, our staff, you know, as they marshal and, and orchestrate the, the grants committee meetings, um, there's a lot more, um, pre-work before they get to the meeting and all of the uh, this is like the average American this isn't like the giving yeah. this isn't you know this isn't community right, foundation I just average know how much so little yeah how much they invest um uh, their dedication is is to be commended I think for a lot of us though it, it does make sense because we probably give based on how we saw our family give um or our community give you know and we also potentially give based on oh, well, Kelsey's name was on the list of donors when we sat in that play, and I know Kelsey, and so if, if he thinks that's a good place to give, then I'll make a gift there too, right? Or it's because somebody asked. Jay saw me at the pool and said, hey, we're doing something at Little Red Door. Would you and Joel consider making a gift? Sure. Um, and, you know, as a fundraiser myself, you know, people give because they're asked. So, um, if it's not an ask, then trying to evaluate in this huge landscape of nonprofit world, um, it can be quite overwhelming. And so that's where we feel like as the community foundation, we're that value add for the donor that wants to know that their money's being put to good use and making a difference. And so we have our thumb on the pulse of what's happening in the nonprofit sector, what's the health and well-being of the nonprofit organizations in our community. And you can make a gift to the unrestricted fund and you know it's going to be put to good use with the, with the most critical needs at that time. Or you can give to any one of the number of designated funds because you really love XYZ charity. I gave a talk to retire. Sorry, Jay, I'll let you go next. Uh, I, I, I gave a talk to a group of retirees. And uh, after I gave like my giving talk, uh, they were like, well, what should I do when someone calls me on the phone and asks for money? Or what should I do when I get something in the mail that says, should I donate? And I'm just like, just don't. And the baby fundraisers don't want to hear that. I was like, be more intentional about it. Then I went to the mailbox and pulled out this organization's flyer that I've never heard of. And I'm going to give to like, I think we have to be more intentional. And it sounds to me like if you don't want to be more intentional, find an organization that will be and just give them your money to decide on what to do with it. Right. Yeah, I, I will say, and what I, that's a perfect tie-in, Kelsey. Our, our addition, our family addition to a donor advised fund has caused us to have to stop and think about where things are going, right? We will, every quarter we'll consider and talk about you know, what have we gotten involved with or who do we know or what do we think is important? And, 
you know, arts for us, especially with uh, Karen being an ex-ballet dancer, the Indianapolis Ballet, like most arts programs, have been really struggling. So that was a place we thought we're going to we're going to make the conscious choice to put some money there. Um, you know, not that there aren't tons of other charities that need help, but the funds required us to think about and to sit down and talk about where our money was going to go rather than I bought Girl Scout cookies this month and I gave $5 to the kid on the bike who was raising money for the, you know, the snack bar at the local pool. Right. So those, it, uh, it has been a good discipline for us at least. And Jay, is that, is that you and Karen or do you involve the, your kids at all in that? Or is it just the two of you that get involved? Uh, we, we've talked to, well, we only have one left. Right. And she's not a kid anymore. She's once, like, once, once they move out, you don't claim them anymore. Two, they couldn't be bothered. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, uh, like Kelly, we're in the same spot. Our kids yep. are all going to be Our gone. Our caboose is the only one home. Very soon. Let's pivot this whole conversation into empty nest. What are we going to mm. do, Kelly? We got to come up with yeah i'm looking forward to a happy it. dance I love for my those children, but it'll be fun to be we're back we're going to be we're going to be at your house once a week there you go okay. um uh, so kelsey sometimes we've talked about it especially around the holidays we'll say hey we're going to make some choices and but you know teenagers they're like okay that sounds good that's really cool and i'm like you know so we had um uh Saren on right from uh, laces.org um, that was one of them one year and Claire really liked that one. She thought that was, you know, a cool, a cool way to spend some of that money. Um, so, but have we done it at any real extent to had them go out and research the charities, help us make the decision? I'd be, I'd be making it up if I said that that was, had any real depth to it. Now, Kelsey, I know you'll do much better with your two wonderful kids, but, um, sure. we didn't get that deep with it. It is a good idea though. And, you know, quite honestly, that's the motivation for a lot of donor-advised donors who set uh, donor-advised funds up at the Community Foundation. And it tends to be, I call it generation one. So grandma and grandpa establish one as a way to teach their grandchildren and involve their, and be involved with their grandchildren about philanthropy, family values, you know, whatever it is that they want to pass on. But it gives them a way to interact. And with everything that we do is online and a portal. And so... It doesn't matter if grandma and grandpa live in the same community as the grandchildren. Um, they can make decisions about uh, local charities or charities in the in the grandchildren's community because again, they're not they're not limited to only making uh, grant recommendations in Delaware County. So um, they could see the portal just the way that grandma and grandpa can. They can all in real time. They know how much is available. So it's a really neat way to do that. Um, and we have lots of donors who set up donor advised funds with that goal in mind. Um, we also have others that, that do it because um, they want to know that they have that, that, uh, that fund available, that amount of money available to make charitable gifts. In fact, during the pandemic, there were a, a huge amount of increase in donor advised grant recommendations because people's uh, livelihoods might've been impacted in a way that made it difficult for them to think about giving to charity but because they had the donor advised fund in place, they knew that they always had that. So whatever's happening in your day-to-day -day life in terms of uh, things that might impact your ability to earn with the donor advised fund, you still have that ability to make sure. It's like you're endowing your annual gifts to, to charities that you really care about. Yeah, I'm gonna sound like a real jackass here, but I was traveling with the Shyamalan family, maybe you know, M. Night 
my friend M. Night Shyamalan of the village in, in Kenya, as you do. And um, no, but it was uh, his, his wife is a uh, Bhavna and they have a family foundation and they were traveling with their daughters and they were going to visit programs. And she was like, we don't have, a, you know, as much money as these giant foundations, but we want this to be like a learning experience for our, for our daughters too. And they go and see the work and they said like, we, well, we choose to invest in, we choose to invest in people. Um, and so they want to go and meet those people. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, uh, Kelly, bef before we get into deeper into uh, DAVs, as I've learned that they're called re recently, um, if how much money does someone, what is the minimum amount that someone should if, think about investing in the community foundation, uh, like donor advised fund before it, it makes any sense. Like if I have a hundred dollars, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense for me to, to give you a hundred dollars and like give the interest. Like that would probably not cost effective. So what is the dollars can, can be pooled with everybody else's. And so that does make a big difference when it comes to, and that's really how we were built, you know, lots of donors. I mean, over 1100 donors in 2020 made gifts to the community foundation, oh, wow. but in terms of uh, fund minimums or, or things that we look for, it's $10,000 to establish uh, an, a fund at the community foundation. It's 25,000 to establish a scholarship. That's the only uh, minimum amount that's different in terms of the different fund types that we talked about earlier. Um, but in terms of a donor advised fund, um, there's two types that you can establish at the community foundation, a permanently endowed donor advised fund, which is 10,000 at the minimum. And then there's a pass through a non-permanent or pass through and there's no minimum um, to establish a pass through donor advised fund. The difference obviously is permanence, right? So if it's an endowed donor advised fund, it's gonna be here in perpetuity, helping the community today, tomorrow and always, right? Um, as a, an endowed fund, it's subject to our spending policies um, and our, our protocols in that sense. And so currently it's a 4.4% spending policy, which means on a $100,000 fund, that's uh, $4,400 that would be available every year for grants um, to be recommended by the donor advisor. Mm -hmm. And so I think this conversation came up between uh, uh, Jay and I, because I had first heard about donor advised funds in, in the sense of um, there was a lot of money, like we had, there was one year that was like, oh, this is the record setting year for charitable giving. This is probably four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then someone, there was a radio program on, yes, but a lot of this is donor advised funds where that money was given that year, but it's like sitting on the sidelines, not necessarily going out to uh people um and there's like the a big one is like fidelity charity has a donor advised fund like so some really big like financial institutions that have these charitable kind of arms where there's a, a lot of money that is collecting interest and the more money that there is there the more fees that those organizations can get um so i guess my question is first like can, is what is the differentiate differentiation between like a donor advised fund at like a community foundation versus like one of those large financial institutions, charity things. Sure, so at the community foundation as a donor advisor, 
our value add is the fact that we're in touch with the nonprofit sector. So we're going to be able to answer questions. We're going to help point you in directions in terms of your interests, um, the things that you're trying to accomplish with your philanthropy. So we're, we can be hands-on if you want that. As a donor advisor, if you kind of know what you're hoping to accomplish and, and you have some, some favorite charities, then that's fine. You can go ahead and make uh, grant recommendations uh, to those charities without engaging with our staff. I think the other value add that we bring is that for those donor advisors who have permanent uh, endowed donor advised funds, and, and of the 32 that we have, all but about a handful are permanently endowed, um, there's the, the sense of knowing that your legacy, you're leaving a legacy to the community that you care about, right? So um, we have many families, we have many families who own small businesses, and this is their way of giving back to a community who benefited them by, you know, patronizing their, their company. Um, but again, this gives them the opportunity to have a pool of money every year so that they can always make gifts to their favorite charities. It's like endowing your annual gift and, and helping people long past the point at which, you know, we're all going to be at a point where we're not in an in income earning phase, right? We're, we're looking at retirement and enjoying that. But we know that we have the, the endowed donor advised fund and we can still make grant recommendations and, and help charity that way. Um, the other piece with the donor advised funds at the community foundation is the, the earnings that are that are made are applied to the fund. So it's not it's not a kickback to us in that sense. Um, there is a fee that's involved that helps us operate, but there is earnings that are applied to that fund every year. So the idea that most donor advisors don't just make one gift and then sit back and watch it grow. They're constantly um, adding gifts to it because they want to continue to be able to grant, you know, larger amounts. But um, there is that idea that um, the endowed donor advised funds continue to yeah. grow because of, of earnings growth. So, so Jay, in your experience uh, um, with an, an, a donor advised fund that is not necessarily a community foundation, do they do outreach of like, hey, you got some money here. Here's some here's some recommendations on how to spend it. Or if you need some help deciding, like, let us know. We're happy to tell you where you can spend it. No, this is this is always a conversation that Kelly and I have over <laughs> over cocktails. Is why in the hell am I not in the community? <laughs> let's go. Um, let's go for it. Let's go. Yeah, let's get let's down the she's, she's still mad at me. Um, no, I, I get, there's none of that. It basically operates like a bank, right? So your, your bank doesn't call and tell you your savings account is, you know, it Whoa. is not being used. <laughs> um, yeah, they, th there's none of that, right? So they're happy to have my money. They're happy to keep it in Gringotts and keep it sitting behind, Gringotts. A, behind a closed safe door. And if I never use it, they'll just sit it, sit there and because they're a bank, they're utilizing it, right? So um, there is no, I don't believe an active mission to um, make sure it's being used to help me think through what I might do. Um, I'm sure there's an email every once in a while saying, get your best returns, you know, those sorts of things. But um, no, there's no active engagement and I've never talked to anybody in person. Well, there's an interesting article I came across in the Washington Post recently. Oh, what was the title of it? Uh, how the... Oh, it's called Zombie Philanthropy. The rich have stashed billions in donor-advised charities, but it's not reaching those in need. That's the title of the article. So obviously um, coming at it pretty hard. But what's been fat, what's interesting about the article is how how much DAFs, DAVs, I'm still DAFs, DAFs. or DAVs, like calves. Yeah. No, F. 
Daft. Daft. Like Daft Punk without the T. Daft. Like Daft. Like Daffy Daffy Dunk. Okay. And without the punk. Yes. Okay. For sure. Uh, They're the fastest growing charitable spending in the United States. Uh, And in 2018, it was 120 billion, up from 45 billion in 2012. And there's been a movement among some like, uber wealthy guy like tom steyer who ran for president you know a billionaire i think a microsoft guy at some point of um criticizing and helping support legislation that would require more transparency and oversight and it seems like what they're looking for is like a certain percentage that would need to be spent um i I, uh, was in i want to sound like a jerk again but I was talking to Gandhi's great grandson, and <laughs> this is some uh, name dropping like I've never heard. Man, Are you hanging out with Julian with today? Isn't oh it? gosh, I'm sorry, but yeah, but so India was thinking of doing the similar thing, uh, of like requiring corporate giving, uh, and that like have a, like almost he's like that's not giving, that's a tax <laughs> that you require, and he's like I think people would give less if there was a requirement to give, they would just, oh, I've done my part, that's my minimum, and then I'm gonna move on. So wh- how do you see like, if like a percentage was put on on that amount that needs to be given? Right, so, um, well, there, there's certainly that initiative going on and we're watching that closely. There's no legislation that's been uh, proposed as yet, but, Nationally, in the first half of 2020, charitable giving was up seven and a half percent. And major donor advised fund providers have seen both the value and the number of charitable grants rise by about 50 percent. Mm. Um, I shared with you all earlier in the state of Indiana, donor advisors granted, so across the whole state, donor advisors granted 10 percent um, of their funds. So, in terms of a, a number, that's a really good number. In, in Muncie and Delaware County, our number's a little bit lower. Um, but we had donor advisors grant 142 individual grants for a total of about $719,000. That's 6.6%. So mm. the number that we keep hearing is 5%. They want to mandate 5%. Well, we're already over that. Yeah. So I, we're not in favor. And when I say we, I'm talking about community foundations across the state and um, uh, our statewide organization, which is Indiana Philanthropy Alliance, we're really not interested in seeing a, um, a mandate uh, in that regard. Um, they've been lots of different surveys. The um, Community Foundation Public Awareness Initiative did a study um, in 2020, DAF's um, grant making increased by 41%. Mm. And think about that, right? Because yeah. So some of these ultra wealthy people that are trying to advocate for different types of, of guidelines or, or policies around donor advice funds, it was donor advisors that had the money at the ready to make the grants yeah. to help in the middle of the pandemic to, uh, to step up in a way that others might not have been. Again, what happened to people's uh, wealth earning opportunities? Many people did not have the same types of advantages. And so here in Delaware County, when we started making grants in March specifically to address needs for first responders and uh, firefighters, et cetera, um, $61,000 came from donor advisors Mm. in about a four month period. Yeah. And so not everybody has the ability to to raise that kind of capital, if you will, and and, and make those gifts that quickly. 
but donor advisors did. Yeah, there was so, a Microsoft executive that launched uh, kind of half my DAF campaign. I think this was during the pandemic where there was, a, I think, a movement of people that said, OK, your our money's been sitting there. Uh, let's let's do something extra with it than we normally do. Like, let's do more. And let's so I think they were saying give obviously half of the money that they had sitting there. Uh, you know, to, to, to these causes. So it's, it's cool to see that that was something that would happen locally too. Maybe not half, but a move. <laughs> right. Well, like you said, in, in 2020, donor advisors here in Delaware County awarded grants of $719,000. Um, so that's not chump change. When you think about a three and a half million of, uh, of grants, uh, you know, we're, uh, awarded in 2020 from the community foundation and 719% of dollars of that was from donor advisors. So, mm -hmm. um, and the vast majority of that stays in the community, doesn't have to. And there are some that, that award, uh, recommend and grants are awarded um, outside of our county. But for the most part, you know, when those donors who have set up permanent endowed donor advised funds, when they pass away, those funds still stay here and continue to benefit Muncie and Delaware County. You know, in, in, in commercial donor advice funds, that's not the case. Mm. So, um, you know, that's the other piece that's that's a differentiator between a commercial donor advice fund and a community foundation donor advice fund. Because in our fund agreements, which is the contract that's signed between the donor and the community foundation, once the donor advisors pass away, then that fund, we retain the name, so the Smith Family Fund, but it becomes unrestricted and it helps grant awards. Or if the donor says, well, I want this to be designated for my favorite charity, ABC Charity. We can do that as well. But typically all of them become unrestricted because the donors have such a, a, a love of the community and want to see it continue to be supported. So, yeah, I'm totally sold that Jay should do this. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, uh <-huh>. Kelsey. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. Sure. Uh, Jay, do you have any last uh, burning questions about, uh, about DAFs? No, I, uh, I understand it much better than I did. And I really appreciate understanding the Community Foundation. And I just encourage folks that are here with us locally to, to take a look at the website and think about where their own spending goes and, and um, being, um, making conscious decisions there um, uh, about what they're going to do and how they're going to give money back. Um, I think that's fascinating. And then, you know, if you're not in Muncie and Delaware County and you're somewhere else, You've got one near you, you know, That's see right. how you can utilize, um, or if you've moved away, um, certainly um, uh, the, the local community foundation doesn't just serve local causes. They also get designated money in other places. So it was great, Kelly. Thank you for such great information. Can we do a real quick kind of, uh, I have a burning question that's kind of not related to this. Uh, <laughs> I know that the, the tax code changed where it used to be that people could itemize uh, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know what it was, but like pretty much everyone could itemize in their taxes, like they're giving. And that has gone up considerably to where you, I don't think people itemize for an individual and uh, they're giving until like $12,400 for an individual or like 24,800 right, so for a couple. Right. You're referring to the tax cuts and jobs act of 2017. So how did that, and I think in 2020, they, they, implemented it they wanted people to give and they said that you could deduct three hundred dollars act was a three hundred dollar above the line deduction for which is charities not very much 
money and I hope people are giving a lot more than $300 if they're able to, but yeah. how, how did that, how did you see that impacting the philanthropic land or land philanthropic, like giving landscape, landscape. Sure. I guess landscape. <laughs> I forgot the scape. I just went land. That's what you're going for. Philanthropic land. Uh, that's where you live, right? That's right. Um, and also, did you see any impact of, of the change in the tax code for the community foundation in terms of smaller gifts? There was definitely an, an impact. I think charities across the country felt it and saw it. Um, there, what we see too is the fact that um, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you had to hit that if you're married filing joint at that $24,000 threshold, right? So what we were concerned about in helping our nonprofit uh, organizations in our community understand is there were a lot of strategies that accountants and, and estate planners used on what they call charitable bunching. So make all your gifts in this year, right, to get you to that threshold so that you can itemize. But then next year, we're not giving. So, you know, ABC Charity receives a $2,000 or $2,500 gift from the Schrock family and it's like, woohoo, that's almost twice what they normally give. And they expecting it again next year and we're not doing that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to help talk about cash flow and, and what that meant and, and having conversations with your donors to be aware because that was a strategy that was utilized quite a bit. Uh, we saw it here at the Community Foundation, uh, folks making gifts, um, larger gifts into funds that they had established um, in order to get to that threshold and then you know, not the next year. Um, I think the $300 above the line deduction, we certainly sent a postcard to our donors um, to say, hey, in case you didn't know, um, be aware, this is something that you can uh, make a gift to the community foundation. And I think for the most part, um, we've got a really uh, great group of professional advisors in our community that are making their uh, clients aware of these kinds of things. But we have to send the messages out because that's part of what our job is to make sure mm -hmm. that we're informing the community about the um, opportunities available to them. Um, but it did have an impact. Um, there was no question. Mentally, people are thinking, oh, well, if this isn't tax deductible, then maybe I should, you know, it was this kind of, it became transactional in a way that for most of us, our philanthropic gifts and our goals in philanthropy and what kind of legacy we might want to leave it never, we don't think about it in terms of a transaction. Mm -hmm. And we think about it in terms of transformation. How do we want to help this organization that we care about? Or how do I want to help my community? That's great. Well, um, thank you so much for, for entertaining that question. Cause I was never quite sure about, uh, I think I would, that happened right around time. I, I was done researching where am I giving? And I was kind of like, ready to be done thinking about this stuff. And I wasn't sure what exactly how that played out. So thank you for all that you do for our community and helping people be better givers and supporting so many of the, so much of the good work that happens in the Muncie community. We're lucky to have the community foundation. We're lucky to have you. And for all those things, Kelly, you're good people. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Hey, this is Kelsey. I just want to chime in here at the end. Uh, if I sound like I'm far away, it's because I am. I'm actually in Brazil hanging out cacao farmers who are saving the rainforest and eating chocolate. I mean, I'm eating chocolate. They, they probably are some too. Um, but anyhow, uh, just listen to this episode again before I posted it. Kelly was had so much great information, but I did not point out um, where we could find and support her work in the work of the, the Community Foundation. So if you're interested, or if you're in the Muncie area, if you're interested in supporting the Community Foundation of Muncie in Delaware County, Indiana, 
you can go to cfmdin.org. They are also on Instagram at cfmdin. Um, so they um, share some of their work there as well. Now, if you're not as fortunate as, uh, as myself to live in Delaware County um, and you're looking for your own local community foundation, you can go to Council on Foundations. They have a great website, uh, cof.org. They have a community foundation locator. Uh, so you can find one near you. And just looking at this map, it is remarkable how many are in Indiana. So um, that, that, is, that is pretty amazing. So definitely check out your local community foundation and see if they can kind of fit into to your giving strategy. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffrithcheyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.